This is First Nature, Episode 1 on the Rising Man Podcast with Sean Berry. The season is changing, and so are we. Hey, Rising Man fam, this is Sean Berry with the first episode of First Nature on the Rising Man Podcast. Reminder before we jump in, if you are interested in knowing how your ancestors may have made a go of it out there in the land every day looking for their food and water, check out Rising Man Elements program at risingman.org backslash elements. You and some brothers can get out there in the land and experience it firsthand. All right, today's first episode of First Nature Podcast, we're going to be talking about the changing of the seasons and particularly spring because it's pretty much here, folks. And this is a great opportunity to look at how the cycles of nature really can mirror the cycles of our life and why it might be valuable to explore that. So let's jump in. Good day to you, Rising Man family. I'm your host, Sean Berry, with this very first episode of First Nature, a new segment on the Rising Man podcast. We're going to drop into a conversation today about the changing of the seasons. If you haven't noticed, spring's about to pop out there. And, you know, spring's not just a weather report. We're going to dive into looking at how we can use nature as a mirror that guides and informs our daily lives if we're willing to look into the mirror. And spring is a great time to do that. But first, let me just talk a little bit about what this podcast is about and why we're going to start bringing some of this content to you. Really, what this is for is to bring us closer into contact with, with nature itself, with the planets. I mean, we're living on this planet. This is our home. And how can we begin to become humans, to be beings who can step outside and see ourselves as part of this whole planet, part of our environment we walk around through, you know, part of nature, so each podcast, we'll be bringing ideas, activities, concepts, stories, a few guests, and it's all with the intention of helping you, helping me, helping all of us really discover our true nature, our first nature, as beings who strive to live in harmony and balance with all that this planet has to offer and to cultivate a deeper awareness and desire to understand our role amongst the stars. Yeah, that's a big bite, and it might even sound a little woo-woo to you. But I guarantee you, man, if you tune in, just check this out. I really believe there's going to be something in here to help you just look out the window, look out onto this landscape, wherever you are, in the urban landscape and the rural landscape, and just to see it with new eyes and to see it as this really amazing resource that can really help us understand how to live our lives. So a little bit about me. Well, first and foremost, I'm an enthusiastic lover of nature. I love this planet. I'm fascinated by this planet. I'm really fascinated with just the idea of life. And nature has been a real important and regular component of my entire life journey. For the most part of my formative years as a young lad, I was uh, growing up on a small farm and running around in the fields and harvesting from the garden, processing animals. And I was in nature all the time. But really, I didn't have sort of more of a, a more formal relationship with nature until I went through my first wilderness rite of passage, which was a four-day, four-night fast alone in the wilderness. 
If you're familiar with the Rising Man community, you know that Compass is one of the main programs that we offer here, and it it is exactly that. It's a four-day, four-night solo fasting rite of passage, and you can check out more on that webpage. But for me, that was the first time that I really understand that there was a way to kind of be in communication with nature, to use my creativity and my imagination to foster relationship with the plants and the animals and the rocks and whatever else that I, you know, saw out there on this big wide world on the land. And then finally, I really came into discovering just a community of people who also loved nature and, and, and finally there's a common language and a way to talk about nature. And that came through a program I did some years ago called RDNA. It's now called Weaving Earth and happens up in Sonoma County, California. And a real huge component and mentor in that program was a man by the name of John Young, who's for the last 35 so or so years has done an immense amount of work just reconnecting people with nature and bringing so many of the ancient teachings that come from so many of our lineages back to the forefront. So these days, mostly it's just me out on the land being fascinated with the natural world. And I'm always just really just trying to find out how can I learn more? How can I see more of myself in nature, in the mirror of nature? So let's talk about spring. So I want to preface this conversation with a couple of things that we'll be referring to a lot as this program kind of gets going over the months. And one of the main reference tools that I have really found useful and important to stay aligned with that came through as one of the tools and teachings when I did my rite of passage is what's called the medicine wheel. Now, if you don't know what the medicine wheel is, no worries. I wouldn't put a capital on either one of those words. This isn't the medicine wheel that I'm going to talk about. It really is just a word used to designate a a type of spirituality that comes from the land. And in most indigenous cultures, I wouldn't hesitate to say all of them. At some point, if you go back far enough, you know, the real reference they were looking towards every day for some kind of orientation into their physical well-being, their mental well-being, their spiritual well-being was all coming from the land because they were so deeply in contact with it on a daily basis just to survive. So the medicine wheel, in short, is just a diagram, typically aligned with the directions, the four cardinal directions. And each of those directions are also indicating a different, you know, sort of different qualities and synchronicities that are happening, not only with the seasons being aligned with the directions, but also certain plants, certain animals, certain phases of life, certain concepts and ways of perceiving paradigms are also aligned on that wheel. And it can get very rich and complex, and it also can be very simple and direct. And I've found that it's one of the more, it's been really the primary tool that I've been using for more than 30 years now, just to track who I am and track where I'm going and track where I've come from and to also track, you know, to see how much of my life is unfolding in synchronicity and in unity with the way that nature moves. And, you know, some of these wheels have been around for, you know, thousands of years, thousands of years. And I don't even know when they began. But at some points, you know, humans within us, we had some kind of desire to become aware of some kind of spiritual awakening within us. And there was a need to express that and to see where that was being reflected in the world around us. And the first thing we saw because it's all around us, was nature. So remember, this is a time before we were building 
concrete structures and had automobiles and devices. None of that was around. It's just you wake up on the land, you picked up your simple tool of a stick or a stone, and you went about the work of the day just trying to stay alive right off the face of the earth. So naturally, our spirituality, when that sort of became awakening in us, would be directed outwards to, to look for that reflection within us out on the landscape. It also feels important here just to talk about the notion of appropriation. I'm not here to appropriate anyone's spiritual technology. I actually rather think it's quite appropriate to talk about. You know, this is a tool from the first people that lived in the Americas, or what we call the Americas now. And, you know, these tools are still around, and they are some of the first spiritual tools that humans ever used. Wherever your people came from in the world, there were tribal peoples over the entire face of the planet at one point, and all of them were trying to reconcile this spiritual awakening of self and consciousness and something greater than them with the outer world around them. And so in their own ways, I believe they were, you know, just experimenting and exploring how to stay connected and unified as this sense of self started to, you know, wake up within them. And that first feeling of separateness came in. So I think all these tools are beautiful. I think it's appropriate and important to use the tools of the people who brought them into the place where you live. So for instance, all these tools, you know, especially like uh, you know, directional wheels or medicine wheels, they look different wherever you go because the landscapes are different and the cycles are different and the way that people interacted and made their lives are different. So all these wheels reflect that. And so I feel what would be inappropriate is to try to take spiritual technology from one land and try to inject it into a different landscape. So the wheel I look at is in general tied to this landscape and the first peoples that lived in this, you know, this greater area of what we call North America. This wheel is dynamic, just like our planet. Things are changing. And so that wheel also reflects some of the things that maybe have occurred and been realized over generations and generations. I, I can't imagine that it's the same exact wheel that they were looking at, you know, 3,000 years ago or whenever. I just want to say thank you to the ancestors of this place. Thank you to my ancestors. Uh, gratitude for taking the time and, and doing that work to explore and identify and experiment with connecting our emerging spirituality back to the land. I'm grateful. And I've found it to be a really powerful, important tool for me to, to stay connected to the land and stay connected to myself and the people I love. Now, I do realize that people may feel differently about that. You know, I want this program to really be an open place for discussion and exchanging of ideas and opinions and a place for reconciliation and healing. So do feel free to post your opinion or your thoughts about that on the threads, and I'll look forward to reading them. So let's drop right into it. On the wheel that I am familiar with, spring lines up in the east. So East energy, we think about East as an energy or spring as an energy, you know, and what is the, the feeling of that energy, right? We're sleeping at night, it's dark, it's cold. Also, we get that first light, sun comes up, we wake up, the birds wake up. We've got energy and vitality from the digestion of the meals of the day before. And we're ready to, you know, our body's ready to get up. Our minds start to wake up. We start envisioning how our day is going to unfold. There's a, a list of things we want to get to or things we have planned. And it's important to note that, you know, 
in the East, it's like the idea, it's, it's not manifested yet. We know, we have ideas, we have concepts, we have excitement, we have visions, we have plans, right? But nothing's happened yet. So it's all pure potential. And it's very similar in the springtime. You know, in the spring, there's animals that begin looking for mates. You know, some of them are coming out of a hibernation. And there's little buds happening on the trees. There's seeds that are just beginning to put their first little tendril down to the ground. And if you think of it in the same way, there's a lot of potential happening in springtime, but none of it's quite manifested yet, right? The mates haven't bred. The buds haven't fully grown into a leaf and started producing, you know, energy from photosynthesis. The root hasn't fully gone into the ground and started shooting up a stalk, right? So there's a lot of potential happening and some first steps and as much energy and thrill and excitement that the spring East energy potential holds, there's also a lot of risk, right? So again, we're just coming out of a season of winter where we used up all the resources we had stored, right? Things are low. We don't have a lot to go on. And so there's, we got to make a little bit of a leap. You got to take a jump. You got to make a claim and not everything's going to make it through that time. Not every seed or baby bird or young tree is going to make it through spring. They might not have enough left from winter to get them through that first push. So spring is also a time of, you know, reducing our potentials down to actuals. It's where we have to let go of some of the vision and possibility of anything happening and just make some decisions about what are we determined to make happen. And the rest has to get let go. Not everything's going to make it, right? And that energy and time and, that, and those ideas and concepts that don't kind of take root, we recycle and resource from them for other things. That's what nature does all the time. You know, something doesn't make it in nature, it eventually goes back into the ground and it gets reused. You can think about spring and the East energy as establishing things, right? So, and it has a scale of time to it too. So think of it this way, like, you know, you can watch a movie in 90 minutes and that first quarter of a movie is all about setting up the plot, introducing the characters. You know, it's about getting acquainted with what is about to happen and all the pieces that are going to be involved in it. In the same way, you can look at spring as part of the first quarter of the year. Now, I know on the, on the calendar we use, we think of the year starting January 1st. That's just a, a date that doesn't really have any kind of planetary or celestial significance. So thinking of spring as a start of things, because that's really when things start on the lands, spring pretty much dictates the way the rest of the year is going to go. So whatever makes it through the spring gate, that's what we have to work with the rest of the year. And then there's the scale of life, our human life. You know, average human, let's say we get anywhere from 80 to 100 years these days, first quarter of our life, that spring East energy. You know, it's our childhood, it's our adolescence, it's getting through high school, it's getting through college, it's maybe finding a mate, it's maybe getting, you know, set up financially with whatever you want to do in life. And then you kind of enter that second quarter of your life where things are established and it gets really difficult to make big changes. And you've spent a lot of time in that first quarter of your life setting up the way your life is going to unfold. So in that same way, there's a lot to learn from just looking at the way the cycles work on the directional wheel or the medicine wheel and the way they line up with the cycles on nature to just show us kind of where we are in life and help us direct us in which way to go and what to do next. No matter where you are on the planet, all of life 
follows the succession of what the spinning of this planet brings on its 23 and a half degree tilt as we spin around a star. Now, what I find really interesting about this is that pretty much every other life form on the planet follows that rhythm without complaints or trying to make a difference. It's only us humans that have decided to try to usurp this natural rhythm in our modernity and everything we're trying to accomplish and do. So let's just talk about that for a minute. Why do we do that? Where did that start? Where did that begin? I mean, this is a big topic, lots of ideas here. I mean, we can look back to religion, we can look back to philosophies, to mythologies. There's lots of material to kind of uncover why it is that the, the human is the one who's having difficulty sort of integrating and staying attuned to the cycles you know, of nature and the planet we live on. And from my perspective, it's just what I'm thinking because it's what I see. Our intellect and our technology have become really dominant channels from which we assess all information, past, present, and future. You know, if you read some creation stories from tribal peoples, a lot of them sound very absurd. I mean, they're just very fantastical and childlike. And, you know, most people kind of will read them and not really get it or just, you know, feel like they're just kind of ridiculous. But I would say both of those are relatively new kids on the block when it comes to who we are as humans. And, you know, if we go back way, way, way back where we really had to pay attention to what was going on in nature to survive and there really wasn't anything else to be distracted by, no movies, no cell phones, you know, no dinners out with friends. It's just basically get through the day. If we really had to watch the animals day in and day out, perhaps those creation stories wouldn't sound so absurd. And we have to remember that we're talking about a time where we were just beginning to, you know, have some kind of distinction about our self-identity as apart from a group of people. The birth of consciousness, the discovery of self, that I am myself and I am not everybody else. And the, you know, what did that mean? It wasn't something we actually, you know, called in and controlled. It just started arising. So then at that same time, this is all beginning to come forward within us. We also had to figure out how we were going to communicate it to each other. You know, we had to increase and develop our more complexity of language. We had to come up with concepts and ideas and ways to just grapple with this invisible world that looked and felt different than who we had been before. So in that context, being in a position where we were so comfortable and so connected to the plants and animals and nature around us, how easily that would have lent itself for us to project and utilize to communicate with each other. Because if there's one thing we all had in common was we all understood on a very tangible, real level, how the world worked through nature. You know, we can look at these cultures that are still existing in different places of the world and from our lens, they might appear like they're suffering needlessly with their minimal, rugged lifestyles. But again, that's only looking at it through our side. And I would suggest that with all of our medications and clinics for psychological disorders and disease and captivation with video games and movies and network series, our rampant addictions and obsessions with substances, you know, this growing fascination both culturally and financially, the billions of dollars going into just enrolling the whole world and colonizing another planet. You know, it would seem to me that we're the ones who are immensely suffering from the world we've made from ourselves compared to some of these more simply living peoples that we can still see. 
So what does it take to get back to that? What does it take to, to find the joy and the fulfillment and the simplicity of life the way that we've lived it for a long, long, long time? Well, I think it takes just a willingness to let go. That's just two small words, let go. But I realize even for myself that that is a lifelong journey. That's a lifelong commitment. And it's not an easy road. You know, we're hypnotized. Some say we're always under a hypnosis, that that is the brain's natural state. So we get to choose what we're hypnotized with. That's our consciousness. That's our, that's our choice. That's our freedom, right? Our free will. We get to choose. So do you want to be under the influence, the hypnosis of a modern culture whose course of looking only to science and technology has pretty much jeopardized our species and virtually every other species and environment on this planet? The one planet out of the thousands we know of, we've discovered almost 4,000 other planets out there, probably more, that have nothing even close to what this planet has. This is the only planet that supports such a rich, diverse, and unbelievable bounty of life. And how are we behaving on it? Or do you want to look to what ancient cultures were doing? Our own ancestry. You know, look to the flora, the fauna, the mineralia that offer wisdom through the willingness to observe, hold reverence for, and learn to communicate with. Now, I get it. If you're tuning in and you're a first-time you know, person who's just checking this out, it might just seem ridiculous. It might just seem way out there. And again, it is from this perspective. It is. It's way out there. But from a different perspective, we're the ones who are way out there. So you have to remember that Homo sapien, that's us, we've been walking around for about 250,000 years or so, you know, give or take 50,000 years. You could say the, the era of our modern worlds, you know, modern humans really kicked off. Let's put it around 1600 when Otto von Gödeck crafted a device that could generate electricity. So much of our modern world is based on electricity. So let's put that on a timeline, right? 250,000 years, and only 1,600 years ago, we started to really, really modernize. So if that was a football field, if 250,000 years was a 100-yard football field, it would take you about a minute to walk it, right? And walking it to the last foot and a half, not even a full step, that would be the last 1,600 years from then until now. Or you could, you know, if that's a little too small of a scale, look at it from a mile. If you walked a mile, it would take you about 15 to 20 minutes to walk a mile. The last five steps or about, you know, six steps, about 20 feet, that's the last 1,600 years. That entire mile, the 5,260 some feet, we've been living pretty much the same way all that time. But let's be even more gratuitous. Let's not go back to just when we discovered electricity in 1600. Let's go back to the Copper Age, right? When we started using metal, because metal is really what started giving us a lot of power to transform other elements into more and more greater things. So 4,200 years ago, that's still only 28 inches, right? And so it's less than a yard out of 100 yards from the Copper Age and only 40 feet from out of a mile. Essentially, everything we've been doing pretty recently is an incredibly divergent methodology from the way we've been living since we ambulated on two feet out of Africa. I'm not demonizing science and technology. 
In fact, I'm using it right now to do this podcast and I use it all the time. I have a car, I buy clothes made somewhere else. My food comes from all kinds of industries, but where's the balance? That's what we're after, the balance. Where's the OG humanity in our current and future pursuits that give us the wisdom, the humility, and the genius to live in unified ecosystems for millennia upon millennia? That's how we've been doing it. And we still have that knowledge. We still have that resource. It's just deep down inside us. You can call it DNA. You call it your ancestors. You call it mythology. You can call it paleontology or archaeology. You can even call it science. But it's all source code. It's there for us to bring up and to squash the bugs and viruses in our internal, emotional, spiritual operating systems that have accrued over this immensely fast period of updates, versioning, and app collecting in our human experience. So let's wrap all this up into a nice tidy bundle as we begin to come to the close and bring our attention back to spring, to the directional wheel, to this new beginning. And... This is an opportunity for you to examine all of this for yourself. Now, while the branches are still bare from winter and the ground is still exposed, before the lushness of spring descends upon us and hides all the structures behind its face of beauty and we get distracted, spring is the perfect time to assess who you are, what you're up to, what are your values, your standards, what do you perceive as really a balanced way of living on the planet? Not just in your you know, daily life, not just in the state you live in or the country you live in or the culture or the society you're immersed in. All that is sitting on the planet and the planet and, and nature is all supporting. Like That is the support system of everything we do and everything we become. So are you in alignment with that? Where's your balance with that? So here's something simple to do. Go for a walk, a slow walk. You can do it in a park, or even better, just go out to a lesser traveled trail and go by yourself. Get some alone time out in nature. And when you get there, just take a minute, look around. What do you see? And forget about naming things. Just let your eyes see. Let your ears just begin to listen. Start to touch things. Touch the wood of the tree. Touch the stone. Touch the cold ground or the fresh spring grass. Maybe you even want to taste something. Just be careful what you taste. But yeah, lick a stone, right? Chew on a piece of wood. See what that's like. Smell the world around you. So much of our information about our experiences and our emotional well-being comes through smell. It's such a potent, powerful sense, right? Our senses are the first apparatus for experiencing the world around us. Everything we know about who we are, what we're doing, the world around us, it all comes in through the senses first before the brain can even interpret what it's for and what its use is. And when you're finished with that walk, I guarantee you, you're going to be in a different state of mind. You're probably going to feel a little more balanced, a little more connected. It's super simple. A little more grateful. So just share some of that gratitude. You can turn back to that trail or that forest or that park and just say thank you. And just let the feeling be real for you. Don't worry too much about how it looks or how it feels or if it's kooky. Just let that authentic sense of gratitude and thankfulness just come out of you. It's not a bad idea when you get home to even do a journal entry on it. Just write down your experience so you can remember it. And then do it again, right? A week later. And finally, you know, think of one way you can call in a conscious acknowledgement of nature every day this spring. 
set a goal for once a day or five times a week or whatever you want to make it for yourself. And it can be super simple, right? It just might be looking out the car window when you're sitting in traffic and seeing a tree line or a bird or just a cloud and just acknowledging it, that it's there, that that is the planet we live on. You are nature. You are from this planet. This planet literally has built your body with the food you've eaten. All you have to do is remember. All right, so I'm feeling really grateful right now. I'm looking forward to doing a walk myself. I'm looking out the window at a beautiful view. Sun's getting low. So I'm going to get out there, and I hope you all can find some time to get out there too. Perhaps together, if we just take these little baby steps, we'll begin to transform how we see this world and then how we live in it. All right, I'll see you guys next time. All right, friends, thanks for tuning in and being a part of this very special first episode of First Nature. For all things Rising Man, make sure you head on over to risingman.org. Again, check out the Elvis program if you're interested. Subscribe to the podcast on the podcast app of your choice. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. And uh, hey, you know, it really helps if you leave a rating and a review on iTunes. We're trying to get the message out there so you can turn people on by helping us out with that. Big props to the Rising Man Power Team, Sean, Mark, Julian, Rowan, Ryan, and Kyle. You're helping me out big time getting this thing off the ground. Keep an eye out for the next First Nature episode here on the Rising Man Podcast. And until then... Find out who you are inside by getting outside.